Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Keith Foster, I write the comics Kadoja and Three Protectors, and I'm a managing partner at Invader Comics. And I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift and Wanders of Milsonda for the Accidental Aliens. Yeah, and through the miracle of technology, it sounds like we're in the same room. Oh, wait, we are in the same room. How the fuck? Yeah, yeah. So I had to make a run down to a printer here in San Diego, and Scott carved out a few hours, and here we are. We are we are going to kick it, and we're going to record an episode here. We're going to drink some beers, and, uh, and the nice thing is, whatever beer you're drinking, I'm drinking, because we're going to split a few and, uh, and get silly through yeah. the podcast, probably. So we are both having, for our first beer, Brewery X uh, Festibier Jaw. Is that how you say that? Yeah, uh, yeah, me fest beer. I don't know. Festa beer jaw, uh, Bavarian great. style festa beer lager, five point eight ABV. So yeah, uh, Brewery X does it again. They have had uh, I think three or four different beers on this podcast, and I've liked every single one of them. I th- apparently, according to our conversation before this episode started, Keith has never had Brewery X, even mm-hmm. though it's right near him, and uh, it's very shocking to me because it's such a great brewery. Yeah, I mean, again, I, I, it's not that I haven't seen their stuff. Like, they made big moves, especially in Orange County, because they're in Anaheim. So, uh, so yeah, they're they're making huge moves, and their shit seems to be everywhere. And yet, I haven't had any of their stuff yet, mainly because every time I look at stuff of theirs, it seems to be IPAs, and I have not been in much of an IPA mood. You know, that's funny, because the most of the beers that I've had from them are not IPAs. Mm. They're like random other things. Uh, one of the beers that I had, or not beers, it was a hard seltzer. It was the hardest of seltzers. And um, the one before that was their Irish beer, which is very reminiscent of a Guinness. So everything I've had from them is diverse and amazingly tasting. And this one is no different. This is pretty awesome. I think I'm going to buy this. Um like a like a four pack I was of this. Say you already I was like I already have one. Very meta. Yeah. Um, yeah, my girlfriend always buys me taster packs, so she'll just like grab one of everything at Trader Joe's and just to see what I like. And I really do like this one, so this will be a repeat buy for sure. Yeah, I mean it's very nice. Again, like I I like this time of year especially for one of the two beers that everybody makes. One of the two beers is pumpkin beers, which I have never met a pumpkin beer I have liked. A lot of them taste exactly like you carved a pumpkin and dropped a huge slice of it into an ale, which is fucking disgusting. Yeah, it's not like like pumpkin spice. That's fine. You know, on occasion. I mean, I also think that the the current excitement and outrage at equal sides for pumpkin spice is just too much right now. It's overblown. It it is on both sides. People people lose their shit over pumpkin spice and then people lose their shit over people who lose their shit over pumpkin spice. And it's like, guys, everybody just calm down. Yeah. It's a flavor. Yeah. I I just don't know that I care enough about things like that to get excited or, or angry about others' excitements. It's just yeah. like, whatever. Everyone just like what you like and leave me alone. I'm definitely there. I'm <laughs> so. definitely there. I mean, and I also tend to get... I do have my seasonal moments through the year that I get excited for. So let me let me think. The ones that I like are... Well, Starbucks just introduced a new flavor that you can get through, like, Target of coffee. It's oh, mocha caramel latte or something. That sounds pretty good. It, dude, it's something... Salted caramel mocha. Oh, it's that sounds awesome. fantastic. And that's right next to their their pumpkin spice coffee, which I could care less about. But yeah, man, pu- uh, whatever the one I just said, salted caramel mocha, 
slamming. Yeah. So I'll be I'll be grabbing bags of that before they pull it from the shelves. Oh, definitely. That's good. Yeah. That's so crazy. that that's a new addition to my seasonal joy. The McRib is always a a fun time for me. It's at the holidays anyway, and then I get to eat a McRib. You know. Um. So that's good. Del Del Taco. Uh, crispy shrimp taco season around Lent. That they always Del Taco. What, really? Yeah, yeah. Del Tra- Del Taco drops a crispy shrimp taco during Lent. It's fantastic, dude. Um, so I really like salt and straws. So theirs isn't seasonal. It's monthly. Every month oh. they change their ice cream flavor, and they have uh, a couple of really good looking ones. Uh, I'm gonna click this. Hopefully the audio doesn't go off. Um, let's see, what is this? It's Beecher's Flagship Cheese with Apple Pie Cinnamon Rolls. Whoa. Made pastry dough is slathered with a spiced apple pie filling and baked to a gooey perfection, then crumbled throughout a sweet and creamy Beecher Cheers ice cream. So that's this month. This is one of the flavors this month, and I'm going to have to go down there and try it for yeah. sure. Yep. Hey, hey. The, the and on a final note here, Grill them all, my favorite burger joint. Oh, yeah. They also do a burger of the month. So not seasonal, but monthly. And so for me, the first of the month is always a fun day to check their socials to see what thing they came up with. And if, if it's not something that I got to go run and do, then I can just see if anybody else wants to run and do it. And I'll eat one of their five burgers on their permanent menu that I like anyway. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Okay, so uh, I am hosting, which means you get to go first. So what was the first thing you did this week? Uh, the most important thing is I knocked out that double page spread. Mm. It is finished. Um, it took me 22 hours and 15 minutes. And that's with the uh, pencil and ink time. That does not include the layout of the page. So maybe if we did layout, uh, maybe add another 30 minutes. Um, 30 minutes to an hour, I guess. And I am showing Keith here since he's in person. So yeah. I don't have to just talk about it. He can actually look at yes, it. Yes, man. Um, yeah, so I knocked that out last night. I was really happy, and I started the next page. So I, I banged out the double-page spread, and I was like, I still got some juice. And um, I sure did pencil about half of a page, and I inked a couple of panels. And honestly, as the day went on, uh, everything felt better. Like, mm-hmm. everything felt better and better. And so after I show you that one, I can show you the next page. Um yeah, man, it was it was flying. So that that double page spread really got me back on track, and as predicted. As predicted, and uh, so I just started working on other things. So I, I did a couple of figures on the next page there. Nice. And uh, yeah, everything. Dude, was... you're going all over the place. This is a wild page too. Yeah, the the pages are pretty nuts. I'll show yeah. you the layout for the next page. Can you too. do me a favor and turn on all the layers again? Oh, yeah, for sure. So I, I am a sucker for pencils. Oh, okay. So I just want to show you that yeah, really man. tight. Dude, this is, this is, these two pages are very creative. Well, three pages technically because it's a double page spread. Yeah. Really creative, really fun to look at. The double page, page spread could work as a poster. I like this look. You know, like, I, I know I'm in, I don't know if I'm in the minority, but yeah, I mean, less than 50% anyway. Like, I just love the pencil look. I love inks with pencils. Kirby, 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 Kirby. Like I love Jack Kirby, and he's all pencils. It's just that's that's a lot of the times I prefer it. So yeah. this looks awesome, and I think it's really interesting that from a storytelling perspective and an art perspective, you have chosen to follow up a 
impressive page, an impressive page with another impressive page, at least in terms of the work. Are those sequential pages in the these story? Are, well? So these are the thumbnails for the whole... Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so this is my my spreadsheet that I talk about on the episodes mm-hmm. where I lay, lay them out. And the beauty about working digitally is, so this is the page you just saw, and then this is the page that comes after. And this one's going to be fun. I'm doing this one next. And that's the whole page? That's the whole page. Okay, wow. So yeah, you get this is... real... So the other two pages, so for the listeners at home, it's a lot of small panel work with mm-hmm. a couple of splashy images. But this third page, which is the culmination of this fight scene that I'm drawing, is like two other panels and one giant panel to make sure um, or to make sure you get the impact of the the end of the scene so uh, it's really fun like in my opinion it's very daniel warren johnson-y mm-hmm. i was trying not to make it that way but it's just he is so so much in the zeitgeist right now mm-hmm. like i feel like it's still coming through even though i'm not trying to do it yeah um but i really like the impact of the page the the uh, pacing of it you know it's just like i don't want to say it on the air here but it's just like the moments before the big impact it's all played out and it's Mm -hmm. stilled out for you to see and then when it hits when the final you know image hits hopefully it'll hit everyone like yeah be able to feel it yeah i mean very cool and all the pages you've shown me have one thing in common which is very creative panel borders so you've really done some interesting stuff on all of those pages you, you just showed me all four of them in terms of your choice of panel borders. You're just doing some really interesting stuff. So yeah, man, this is this is a very creative, creatively drawn, creatively laid out issue. Um, so yeah, well done, man. Thanks, man. Very cool. Yeah, it's something I'm really trying to focus on. Like when you have your standard scenes, like, uh, like this is relatively, I don't know, relatively paced. Like it's a normally paced uh, mm-hmm. or, uh, page of comic. So you just kind of have your standard panel borders. But then when you get into the action, that's where I like to really turn it up and mm-hmm. make it feel, I don't know, off kilter a little yep. bit. And uh, yeah, man, it's, it's been really great. I'm really happy with that double page splash. And then that page right after it, uh, it's just moving quickly. Mm-hmm. And it's just far from what I was doing the other week or two ago. Nice, man. Yeah. I mean, that's, again, that's, it's cool to look at. It's cool that for this particular episode, I am in person to see it because seeing it matters in, in this case more than I think in a lot of other cases. So yeah, right. man, yeah cool. hopefully you guys at home, that was okay to listen to. I was busy showing Keith. So like my mind wasn't necessarily fully on the episode itself. So hopefully that was good enough for you guys and it'll translate. And yeah. uh, Hey, hopefully when the issue's done, you'll pick it up and you'll see what we're talking about. Exactly. You can go back and, and just enjoy this podcast all over again. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. All over again. You know, put a little tick mark, save this in your memory for when you do pick up the issue Yeah, man. and you can come back and listen to this and it hey it'll be a little more exciting for you hell yeah hell yeah so for me the first thing i did this week was i lettered animals and uh this is a continuation of the lettering that i have done previously on animals so to get a full page count for this issue it turns out that it is i believe 33 or 34 pages maybe something like that it's it's between 30 and 34 pages and i say that to give an idea that I am now 18, 19, I believe I'm 20 pages into the 34, maybe a little bit more. And so two things have really come up in my brain as I've been doing the lettering for animals um, and, and, and working through everything. The first is that the editing of the text continues. 
I'm guessing that of every 10 words of dialogue that were in the script before I lettered, six remain. So oh, wow. I, I believe I am cutting between 30 and 40% of the text that is in the balloons. Oh, wow. And again, this is this just goes back to what I said before I even started doing this. It's like, I got to letter it now for it to get clear. Because number one, I mean, I have thumbnails of the art on the top of my script because I've shared this with Mike already multiple times. So I wanted to give him an idea of what these pages look like. And it, it worked very well in terms of feedback. But dropping those letters into the page, seeing it panel by panel with the art, it just, it makes so much, uh, uh, it makes such a big difference. And being able to do that and being able to drop it in and then realizing, you know, I, I do all the balloons. This is the first time I did it. I did all the balloons. I just said one, two, okay, there's there's 12 balloons on this page. Here we go. Ba, 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 ba. And I'm like, you zoom out. You're like, that is a mess. That is too many. I need to cut at least three or four of these balloons. That's, that is actually a technique we have not exactly mentioned here on the podcast before. If you're looking at your page, whether it be art, art with text, the, the best thing to do to make sure you have a nice balance to it, zoom out on your page. Mm -hmm. Zoom out from your page and see the balance. See if it works really well. You can tell but with the smaller image. Yep. There's just something about it. You can see the flow, and um, you get a better overview of uh, of your of your page. That Absolutely. Way. And hey, because I love making these music corollaries as well. That's holistically similar, I guess, to the idea on music that if you ever have a problem in a mix and you want to know how a mix sounds, you turn it down. You turn hmm, it down to a tiny, tiny little listening level. And then you ask yourself, can I hear everything? Because if you can hear everything when the level is low, then you're in good shape. Oh, and if sure. not, your mix sucks and you need to work on it, right? So I think that does apply here in terms of the page layout, which, you know, artists have an advantage over writers in this case in that they, they get to do the layout up front and all the layouts are done at a 50-foot level. Where with dialogue, with stuff like that, you just don't know. I mean, you should have a damn good idea if you're writing a script. And that script goes more than one page, watch out. Right. You have too much, you know, or you could have too much. So, uh, so yeah, that's what I ended up doing. I did that. I dropped it in. And now I'm, again, somewhere around 21, 22 pages in. And I've come upon this second minor sticking point that I had, which is there are a couple pieces of art from the original um, set of pages that are unusable. And what I need to do is I need to do new art for it. So I stuck on this one particular page. And um, I mean, I, I guess I could share something that's sort of a specific, right? That in this particular page, there's a lot of discussion on genes. G-E-N-E-S. And so I was talking to Mike about it. I'm like, I, I called him up and I was like, Mike, I'm stuck on what the hell to do with this page. Like, I could drop this image out that you and I don't like, keep the other two ancillary images on the page, and then replace it with something. But maybe I should do something different. And Mike was like, yeah, I think, I think the answer here is probably to just get conceptual. Find, a, find an image out there that works. So like, find something that portrays the fact that they are discussing genes you know, and go from there. So that's what I ended up doing. I won't give away any more, but I will mention to 
artists out there and to writers out there, I don't, I know you don't do this, but for comics that have a hybrid feel to them, that have graphic design elements to them, um, something you're probably going to end up doing at some point, especially if you're like a writer and you're trying to fill in the holes created by an artist, because sometimes that happens with us. It's happening with me right now. Stock images end up being your friend. Hmm. And without going too much into it, you can find paid subscription stock image services that get you all kinds of dope shit. And uh, so stock images are used a ton everywhere. And uh, they are what you think they are. There's this huge repository of images that you pay to use, and then you get a specified contract of use for them. You can put them in your publications, you can put them in your ads, you can do whatever. And there are stipulations around them. So the place that I use, it's, you know, unlimited web use, unlimited uh, digital uh, social media use, 500,000 copies. That's oh, okay. that's the low print run. And then after that, and then it's like no multimedia or something like that. I can't remember which one it is. Okay. Like no no commercials or something like oh, that. Oh, I see. Okay. And then for the more expensive license, you get commercials and you get print runs over 500,000, which oh, okay. is, you know, no yeah. no comic is going <laughs> to yeah. have to worry about that. No, no, no. No comic under the sun. So anyway, um, that was a bit of a tangent, but I do think it helps for no, people definitely. out there that are doing stuff. So that's where I am. I've selected the the image the main image for the first of two pages that i need to do that for because when i went back god this is meandering but i think it's helpful when i went back and looked at my animal script and did this redone script where i rearranged uh previous scenes and and made the comic work as is so uh issue one can really end on a punch of a cliffhanger when i did that i realized that there were some pages where I sort of wrote them as this dialogue needs to be on this page mm. and then I'll figure out the art. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it was actually one page. So after rearranging everything, I basically had two pages that needed art. The first one I just talked about, it was a page where the existing art wasn't quite up to speed. The second page, I just need to do something else. So I'm going to repurpose some an image or two that I have that works because I do have a lot of art that I can still chop up from the old version of animals. And then I'll do the same thing and find the right stock image to use. And then the goal is to have it look seamless with the type of art that's being used. You know, like if you want to use a stock image and that stock image is a very, very computery looking thing, like a com- computer graphic looking thing, do not pair that up with like standard comic art. It's no. jarring, right. you know? So what you're going to need to do is you're going to need to find stock art that goes with that hand-drawn feel of the art you have. And then once you bridge it, you'll be okay. So anyway, I, I know that was a lot to take in, but like I said, I think a previous time, just Boogie Down Productions it and rewind. Dude, that's honestly, it, it sounds so fucking crazy like what you have to do to make this book work with art that you already have and you no longer work with the artist. Mm -hmm. So like I couldn't imagine doing that. Thank goodness I'm the artist on my book because if I have to deal with this shit, like I don't know that I would be okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like, so you're handling it pretty well and you're doing the best you can and and you're making it work. So that's pretty amazing. So for you writers out there, take note. Yeah. You, uh, you might have to deal with this. You might not, but, uh, you know, just prepare yourself just in case you have to deal with an artist who's kind of flaky, not reliable. And all of a sudden he leaves the project and the project's halfway done. So yep. 
Yep. Uh, Something to keep in mind. Yeah, and then two other two other things that, that made me think of that. One more thing before we jump yes. into whatever you're about to do say. It. Yep. We got to the second beer. We did. Um, we crushed that pretty quickly. It is warm down here in San Diego. It's not the heat wave that we've been experiencing, but we definitely finished that first beer very quickly. It was just so good and so light. Mm -hmm. So we've moved to Extended Getaway IPA. It is from Pizza Port, Pizza Port Brewing down here in San Diego, and the alcohol is eight per, or excuse me seven percent so it's a step up from the last beer um what do you think of this one i think it's good i mean it's an ipa it is it is it is an unremarkable ipa it's fine but it's fine and it's part of the morass of ipas from which i could choose and just be like this is fine it's a fine west coast ipa it's clean it's clear and i'm good you, you know, know what i like about this one specifically it's not overly hoppy. Yeah. It it is a little mellow on the hops and that's what happens with IPAs. You get a, a very hoppy beer. Um, this one's actually tempered down compared yeah. to what I'm used to. So I was trying to see if there was something else going on here to make it not as overwhelming, but there's nothing. It's okay. just a uh, Pizza Port's awesome. They have good beers. Yeah, Pizza Port is good. So and, and I don't mean unremarkable in like a, a particularly bad way. It's just it's an IPA like a lot of West Coast. No, totally. IPAs. No, I knew what you yeah. meant. There's nothing of note to it. Yeah. It's just that I guess there's that. That's the one note. The yeah. one note is it's not overly hoppy, mm -hmm. and I actually stay stay away from IPAs a lot because of yeah. the hops. It's like yeah. I don't mind hops, but when they smack you in the face every time you drink it, that's the problem. This one's pretty mellow, and I yeah. enjoy that. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. I'm I'm digging it. Um, so the the two things I wanted to mention are one, this idea of repurposing art after an artist has left the project because I'm insane. Longtime listeners, listeners of the podcast will note this is the second book in a row I've done this on. Three Protectors was the exact same way. I rewrote something seven times. Animals did not get to seven rewrites, but I rewrote something seven times because the art was fixed and all I had to do repeatedly was rewrite around the art. And I, I have mentioned this before that that's what's going to make Animals issue two of two so great. Because I'm going to start fresh, I'm going to write a fucking script, and somebody's going to draw it. And then I don't have to deal with this, you know? But that brings up the second thing I wanted to say, which is a quote that I heard once that I really like is, writers are problem solvers. That's what you do. Writing, writing, you create problems and then you solve them. That's, you could definitely, it's, it's a way of being reductive. But in a way, it's all that writing is. It's just problem solving. So to me, thank you, you know, for saying, hey, you're toughing through it. But I just view it as problem solving and it's some other thing for me to go out there and attack. I'd imagine this is very similar with what Ed has to deal with when I do uh, my Drawtober issues and pass them along his way. You know, the like the last one we did, issue 12, um, that was one where I was just like, hey, I want you to tackle this. And I kind of didn't give him really context of what was going on in the story. I'm like, he knows the characters. And so <laughs> he, just throw him in the middle of this story here. And, um, you know, he writes his initial script. And I'm like reading a few pages. I'm like, that's not what I had in mind. I'm going to stop reading this. Yeah. And um, I was like, let me write mine. And then he can hybrid it. And so he has a better idea. So yeah. in a way, it's it's somewhat similar in the sense that at least you wrote the script initially so you know what's going on. Mm -hmm. And then that artist produced whatever art he did. And you're like, yeah, this doesn't work for me yeah. for what I wrote. Yeah. So you're trying to work around it. So yeah. it, it's very similar to a degree. And um, I can see the challenges of that. And also like kind of the joys in the challenge. Just like, mm -hmm. okay, how, how can I make this work? Yeah, totally, totally. So... 
that was a long first thing for me, but uh, do you have a second thing? It's very small. I'm starting the process of uh, all of my my client work. Mm -hmm. So all my freelance work, I talked to one of my clients. We had a lengthy conversation about all of the figures that he needs done. He's already sent me pictures on uh, the, the wrestlers that I have to draw. A couple mm. of them are really cool. I'm excited to draw them. So I think I'm going to bang out this page that I'm currently working on, and then I'm going to tackle those as fast as possible, just make some side income here, um, you know, get get uh, some of these bills paid and everything like that, and then I can get back to my own endeavors drawing these books, which I really care about. And uh, the big thing on the horizon, so this is why being an artist is rough if you have multiple projects that you want to work on. So Drawtober is upon us. And it is, uh, what is it? It's, uh, Shit, it it's is the 15th be... yeah. already. As, as of this recording, it is the 15th. There you go. Inside fucking baseball. There that you is go. exactly when we're recording this. It's going <laughs> to air on Monday the 25th. Okay. But yes, Drawtober is basically on us. Yes. So when this airs, I will be starting the layouts for Drawtober. So I will have to stop second shift 13 and then start the Drawtober issue, which is actually going to be Wanderers 4. Mm -hmm. And it is only going to be partial of Wanderers 4 um, because 31 days in October, which is 31 panels of Wanderers. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be about eight pages. So, you know, that's not the whole issue. Usually when I do my Drawtober stuff, it's like, hey, 31 days, then that's going to be the whole issue. I might add a panel or two. Um, but this, it's like, no, that's that's like less than halfway it's not even most of the issue yeah so um the weird part will be stopping second shift 13 starting wanderers four, uh doing that all of october which is going to be infuriating by the way because i am in a real groove right now with second shift so it's going to be very upsetting um and then right after drawtober right after october 31st i'm going to stop wanderers four and get back to second shift 13 so my schedule is very weird and uh, I'm going to try to make it work, but that's why I need to work faster. Can I play devil's advocate? Absolutely. Why do why do Drawtober? Why do birds suddenly appear every time that you are near? Um, <laughs> like, seriously. Like, okay, here, here's why I say this, okay? And this, look, this is the first time I've heard it. That's why I'm having a little live convo with Scott here. The last couple of years, Drawtober has been something that you can rally around something that you can galvanize ideas to like yes i can draw this issue it's a cool thing to do i'm gonna knock out a whole fucking issue in a month this is the first time you've talked about it where it actually feels like an impediment to your creativity as opposed to a booster to your creativity so the reason why i will do it is because it forces me to finish one image a day, one panel a day. Mm -hmm. um, that's my goal anyway. That's my goal every day, but it doesn't always happen. It just so happens like, you know, a couple of weeks back, I was talking about being stuck in a rut. I couldn't get out of it. Mm -hmm. I was definitely not doing a panel a day and that's what I needed to do. With Drawtober, it forces me to do a panel a day mm -hmm. and it is the goal. And if you have a very short time frame in which you need to achieve that goal, I will get that done. Not saying every pe every person will, but I am a go-getter. So I will definitely... Scott, Scott, Scott like, pumped his fist in front of you. Like, <laughs> you swinging motion yeah, in front like, of me. Yeah, like fucking, like, Wario in a Mario Party, where he goes like, <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So, yeah, man, it's... um, 
I know if I have that deadline, if I have that short deadline, I'll meet it. Yeah. And um, that's what's special about Drawtober for me. Okay. It's just like, okay, I will force myself to get these things done. It's an everyday thing, but it's not like there's a penalty every, any other time during the year. It The penalty in Drawtober is people will go... Hey man, where'd your where'd your page go? Weren't, right. weren't you supposed to do a panel? And so the embarrassment of not finishing on time right. is enough motivation for me to get that done. Right. So the plus side of doing the Drawtober is, is number one, it holds me accountable, and it also pushes another project forward as much as possible. So mm-hmm. even though I'm not getting a full issue out of Drawtober, I am getting eight pages, and that's yeah. something. Fair enough. Okay. Yeah. I mean, again, I just wanted to test the test the idea there. No, definitely. Um, I appreciate that. And the reason that I know the Wario thing in Mario Party is because that is who I play in Mario Party. Mm. That is my that is my one moment. I, I think I've told you before. I don't play video games. I play video games with my kids. So now, when my kids come back from college, it is almost a ritual or part of our routine to <laughs> three of us drink and we play Mario Party now. <laughs> it's a good routine. Dude, it's a blast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, so anyway, okay. So I have a second thing I want to talk about and then it sounds like we can get into our main topic here. And I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this, but we're going to go into the novel now. And what I want to talk about is how there's a character in my novel where I had been referring to them by a vague name or like a generic name or something like that. Is it Barrio? <laughs> <laughs> so like the equivalent would be if you call someone, again, just think of a generic name, you know, the, the green man or something like that. And so one of the notes I got is I don't think like you're using too many different words to describe this person. Okay. So pick two and then i was like okay i can pick two but then i was thinking about it and like in the context of the novel it almost makes more sense for that thing to have a name that person to have a name like a proper name whether it's so like the example i can give is stranger things right in season one of stranger things the big baddie is called the demogorgon D&D nerds will know that is not actual Demogorgon. Demogorgon is a Lord of Hell of the Abyss, actually. He's a Lord of the Abyss, a super powerful Lord of the Abyss. But the important part about the Demogorgon as a name is the kids named it that because that's their frame of reference, right? Mm. So when you think about... That's, let me, that's interesting, like... Is that legal? Can they just name something the Demogorgon, sure. like, when it already exists as, like... And I've never heard that word ever before Stranger Things. Because I don't play D&D. Right. So is that a D&D made-up word? Huh, that's a great question. I mean, the, the thing... I would have to do some, like, etymology research on that. Because yeah. the thing about D&D is it grabbed from other shit, too. Oh, I see. You know, okay. so, like, the example... You know, one of the, one of the famous things about D&D which is played up in season four about it being like this gateway to Satan worship is that D and D in its monster manual, it named all nine Lords of hell. And in naming those nine Lords of hell, they all come from somewhere, you know? So like the, the ruler of the ninth plane of hell is Asmodeus. Asmodeus shows up in places. The ruler of, I think it's the, hey, don't don't shoot me, D&D people. I think it's the seventh plane of hell, maybe, is Beelzebub. Okay. Well, Beelzebub's from the Bible. 
if I remember right. right. So it's mm-hmm. like they they borrow from other places too. I think the Lord of the Fourth Plane is Gurion. Gurion comes from a mythology. I can't remember which one, but it comes from one. Okay. So D and D borrows so so heavily from other things. There's a really good chance that Demogorgon actually comes from somewhere else in D and D and and TSR Dungeons and Dragons just repurposed it. Right. For their yeah. Game, you know? So I looked it up. Uh, Demogorgon is a deity or demon associated with the underworld. Although often ascribed to Greek mythology, mm. the name probably arises from an unknown copyist misreading of a commentary by a 4th century scholar, Langtantius Placidus. The concept itself can be traced back to the original misread term... Ooh, uh, what is it? How do you say that? Demiurge. Demiurge. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, there we go. Yeah. And Problem again, the D and D Demogorgon is a very specific giant. I don't know, 80, 80 feet tall, two-headed baboon monster with like tentacle arms, if I remember right. Mm. So sounds hot. That is, yeah. <laughs> and that is not the Demogorgon in Stranger Things. Obviously, Spoiler yeah. alert for season one. Right. So back to the back to the point of the story. I wanted a name. I wanted to have some kind of name that that the characters in the story would use that may or may not. It's just how they reference it, you know. This so, is for the the novel. This is for the novel. Yeah. So you've gone this far, and there's characters still not named. Yes. Oh, yes. fascinating. I I I can't give away anymore. Right. Right. So so this is one of those cases where the vagaries of me talking about my own novel get in the way. So this is one of those just just. The larger point is what yeah. I'm trying to no, make No, no, that's yeah. like the the fact that the there are characters not named is in, interesting yeah. to me because you're so far along. You're like, dude, I'm at the home stretch. Yes. And it's interesting that there's like characters not not yes. named yet. Yes. So if I if I gave if I made this particular example about the specifics, everything would be clear. But we're recording a podcast and that's not my style. When the book comes out, sure. Or you can tell me when we stop recording. Or I tell you when we stop recording. I can do that too. <laughs> so I'm trying to figure out how to create this name. And I ended up doing a ton of research. It became the kind of thing that I would research focused for about 30 minutes a day. And then think about for the rest of the day. Because I wanted to have a good name. I don't want to have a name that somebody else has used ideally. And then in the back of my head, I was like, wait a minute. I have all these books on like fairy tales and folklore and mythology let me just go consult this one something told me to consult that one and i consulted it and i'm like there's the name right there and it perfectly fit and it's in the story now and now i'm rewriting the story with the use of that name right on so the the and in fact it was something that had that exact name had a much heavier role or at least that idea the idea i took the name from had a much heavier role in like the third draft of my novel so this is why you know, the big thing I think to other writers out there is one, make sure you keep all your notes from previous drafts. And number two, Absolutely. make sure you do your research because this is how research works. You know, the, the, the general thing about research is there are pitfalls to it because what a lot of people do is they research a whole ton of stuff and then they feel this need to shoehorn all this kick-ass research they did into their novel, but it's not story appropriate and you end up boring the fuck out of people. So it's, it's, there's, there's a line I heard somewhere where like you can research a week for, you can research a week and have that matter in one sentence in your novel. 
yeah, the other side of that is you shoehorn some research in there. People find it fascinating, and then it has nothing to do with the rest of your book. Exactly. And then they're let down. Exactly. Yeah, it has to, it has to be story relevant. That's, that's the number one thing in any story. It has to matter to the story. So I only bring this up because the research paid off. All the stuff I'd done before paid off. That collection of books I have on my shelf paid off. This is why I get this stuff, you know? So yep. I was happy that it came kind of full circle there and I was able to to put it into my book and it's it's better for it. It's great to weave like mythology and folklore into your books because it makes it feel more real. Yeah. You know, if people read it and they happen to have read something similar to what you put in, like they, you know, weren't doing research, but they just happened to read something that touched base on that subject matter, they're like, oh shit, I just read about this. Yeah. And I, I can't tell you how many times I've read something that goes, I legitimately just read about something similar to this, and then here I am reading this book, this comic, and, and there's something similar. Um, yeah. Bionni Man from issue uh, eight of Second Shift, Ed did a ton of research on this. Like, he is one of our, um, one of the first... Um, creator, uh, like co-created characters, because I thought of Bionni Man ages ago. I mean, and, and he's just, you know, uh, my own version of Superman. He's just mm -hmm. Filipino Superman. So, but that's all I had. Ed went into uh, research mode and he came up with all this cool shit. And it's just like, when we get back to Bionni Man um, and his name also, that touches based on something else you said where... Um, don't don't get a name that someone else has used. You know, you want to have your own name or or you know your own version of it, right? Bayani in Tagalog means hero. Mm -hmm. It's a cool fucking word. Yeah, Bayani sounds cool just yeah. on its own. Yeah, and I was that's what I wanted to use. Yeah, I looked up Bayani. Well, if everyone hasn't used the name Bayani for their stories, mm -hmm. so it's just like crap. I don't want someone to look up Bayani for my book and they get all this other stuff. So mm -hmm. what do I do? I'm just call him Bionni man. Cause mm -hmm. he's like Superman. Yeah. All right. His name is hero man, mm -hmm. but Bionni man sounds cool. Mm -hmm. And, um, so that makes it my own. No one else has Bionni man that I looked up. Yeah. So that makes that character unique to our story. Mm -hmm. And then you put Ed's research with all this Filipino folk folklore that he did. And he's just a complete package. He's mm -hmm. like his own character into yeah. himself. Yeah, that's perfect, man. All right, we took a, a very seamless editing break there, and Scott went to get our third beer. I, I mentioned before that I wanted to split three beers because that's just the right amount to probably get things get things funky. And this one is Made West Brewing Company, and it's it's weird because it says short lived, short lived Pizza Port Brewing Company. So maybe this is like a collaboration. Um, it's seven percent. It's Made West Brewing in Ventura, and it's a West Coast IPA. Oh, yeah. I'm wondering why they're shouting Pizza Port out. Uh, like it's that. probably a team-up. Yeah, it has to be a collab, right? Yeah, yeah. They got the Pizza Port uh, logo on there mm -hmm. and everything. So, um, yeah, interesting. Let's see. It's always fun. So we got another West Coast IPA, so I think this goes very well. I think we did pair all three of these nicely, and we're working our way into the uh, the heavy, heavy. So this one has a bit more of a smell to it. The uh, Pizza Port did not have a... I'm, I'm a smeller... Mm -hmm. It's a weird sentence, but uh, I, I smell... I bet dogs love you. <laughs> I smell everything. I smell my food. I smell my drinks. Um, and I definitely always smell you my You mind dog parts and you sniff some other dog's asses? <laughs> hey, they're doing it. <laughs> they got a monopoly on it? Yeah, I'm not weird. You're weird. <laughs> uh, so we're going to get to our, our main topic here. And what we wanted to talk about... A little more hoppy. ...here is dynamic poses. 
So this is, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm going to give it to you. Is there anything you need to say about dynamic poses beyond the obvious, which is your poses should be fucking dynamic? Yeah. Right? So, I mean, the best example of this is um, how to draw comics the Marvel way. And you can Google that. You can Google that and hit images. And one of the images will, that'll show up, I think it's a John Buscema uh, pose where it's like a character punching and there's all these different versions of that punch. And it shows you, okay, this is too sh too soon. This is mediocre. And then it keeps going and going and going. And the overexerted punch is the punch that Marvel wants. And that's, that's honestly, if you're into Marvel comics, if, if those are the books that got you into this, and honestly, just for a draw, the drawing aspect, I'm, I'm a Marvel kid through and through a Marvel zombie, uh, growing up. And honestly, I feel like that's how comic books, uh, superhero action shots should be drawn. It's the most dramatic of all the images that you can find, um, in those, in those punches. It looks the best. I mean, there's tons there that look good. Like, honestly, a lot of that scale, I'm like, honestly, those other ones aren't that bad. I don't have that much of a problem with it, but there's the overextension of the punch in that image. And that's the one that they want from you because it has the most impact. It has the most uh, drama to it. And it, it definitely is an exciting image. So um, make sure when you're doing your images, when you're doing fight scenes, make them as action-filled as possible. Yeah, I mean, and, and the thing too is this is an indie comics podcast. So it's fair to ask, well, what if my book isn't a superhero book? The rule still holds, party people. And, and the way it holds is, while you were talking, I queued up this page that I know is from inside the book because I own the book. And it's it's the um, circle drawing, like a, a, a stick figure, but with circles and all the heads, torso, muscles, legs, etc. And it's doing what, what Scott is talking about, right? It's a really cool picture because it shows three poses in like an undynamic way and a dynamic way. And so... The first one has a person with their right arm um, bent and their right hand on their hip and their left arm pointing straight out. So they basically have a hand on their hip and they're pointing outward. And the one is a less dynamic pose. But the one in the comic, it's, it's helpful. I'm not saying you have to be like Marvel in all of your comics, but... In the, in the non-dynamic pose, the person's feet are spread at a normal place. In a dynamic pose, their feet are spread wider. In fact, their feet are spread kind of comically, no pun intended. And the arm is bent more when it's on the hip, etc., etc. So, look, you can go too far with this, okay? You don't need people. If your comic takes place at a photocopier, then you don't need a ton of dynamic poses, you still need to figure out a way for dynamic poses to play a role in your book. And Scott talked about that, sort of brushed up on it, in part one, where he was talking about how this action builds to a certain point, and then you need the impact to hit. So maybe you don't want to do dynamic poses all the time because you have an indie book, and 100% of it takes place at a water cooler. But odds are there's going to be some sort of dramatic event that happens in Act 3 of your story. And for that, 
you should consider making the poses more dynamic, even if it's a bunch of people talking at a water cooler, and this is like a psychological drama at a water cooler. Absolutely. So that's, I mean, that's another interpretation of dynamic pose. Depending what they're doing, it, it make them, I mean, look, if it's a slice of life book and it's dramatic, I understand not wanting to have your characters overexert, you know, like gesticulate too much. But honestly, if, if, depending on your style, like if it's a more realistic style, I can see how that cannot work. Mm-hmm. But if you're doing any kind of cartooning, I don't see where that would hurt. Make sure your background characters are doing just as much acting as your foreground characters. So if you got to, if, if you're doing a bar scene, let's, let's try to pick something mundane. If you're doing a bar scene and your main character, he's complaining about his life, have him talk with his hands in the background, have a drunk at the bar. Have him slumped over. Have him being dramatic in the thing that he's doing. Make sure people get a good idea of what every character is about, regardless of their stature in your book. They don't have to be the main character. They can be background characters. Have people do things. And if you can have... You know, you will have those mundane characters in there. I get it. Like someone walking by looking on their phone. There's not a lot of action there. There's not a lot of energy there. But... If they are talking to someone, they're upset, they're sad, like you can really amp that up to whatever pose they're in. You can make people feel that. And honestly, I think that's the essence of what we're talking about here. You do want to have these great giant fight scenes, depending on the book that you're doing. But you also want to make sure that those background characters aren't just standing there doing nothing. Yeah, and I'm actually taking a photo of I'm his gonna, penis. <laughs> and I'm going to post it to Instagram for the episode. <laughs> He's just kidding. Twitter, it's allowed there. <laughs> we're we're celebrating 100 episodes. And we're really? getting there. Yeah. Airily. And this is how we're going to do it. So <laughs> that's what happens. <laughs> Anything goes on making comics party, people. No, um, what I'm actually taking a photo of that I'll post is... So Scott and I actually collaborated a little bit before this, and we're going to do this a bunch so we don't steal each other's ideas. But we wanted a couple artists that exemplify what we're talking about. And for dynamic poses, the first one I chose is Kagan McLeod, who does Infinite Kung Fu, one of my favorite books, arguably um, my favorite book of all time. And I asked Scott to pull an issue of Infinite Kung Fu we had because Ed, thank you, Ed, has let Scott borrow his issues. And as luck would have it, issue two because I know this comic very well, has a bar scene. So you take a look at this bar scene real quick, and then I'm going to describe it because it so nails what Scott was just talking about. It is a bar scene, and what you have is you have the main characters in three places in the same scene to show movement, right? And they are done in all white without toning or shading so that you can make them very clear. Focus on them. Exactly. But, like, you look at... The people in the bar scene and you have like even in the background you have a dancer with almost nothing on at the pole but like if you look at the way her arm is grabbing that pole behind her like that's a pretty unnatural bend it doesn't seem like it but it's an exaggerated pose yeah there's definitely and Kagan McLeod's style it's it's um it's just so interesting it's so unique and there's a flow to that dancer like you look at her and you can think that she might be a main character in the scene. Mm-hmm. Like you're like, okay, well, is, was this going to cut to her later? Just how much energy he put into her pose itself. Yeah, it's fantastic, and and that's something you want. You want to be able to excite your readers uh, by doing the little things, and that's yeah. having your background characters act. 
In fact, I might even do another blog post for this like I did for last episode with our bizarre AI art because I'd like this to be a document that just stands because this is a great panel to look at. Just every single character is doing something. There's a woman cut off on the far right of the panel that is throwing her head back to probably take a shot. <laughs> she right? is pounding that yeah. wine or whatever there, she's drinking. There is there. a woman sitting at the bar with like a shirt wide open and, you know, like a whole, a whole lot of cleavage showing and somebody else is feeding her with a spoon and she's got a cigarette dangling from her fingers or a cigarillo actually with a holder like there is a lot going on in a person just sitting there there's a dude like kind slumped of over. slumped at the bar if you look in the far back there is a dude standing there with his arms folded and it's still a dynamic pose even though he's standing there with his arms folded so again like this is this is how you can take everyday stuff and just turn it into something dynamic by amping it up just a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, regardless of what your characters are doing in the scene, have them do some kind of acting. And, uh, you know, we, we can't punch that home any more than we already did. Yeah, yeah. Is there anybody that you wanted to bring up in terms of artists that you uh, think use dynamic poses? My more? number one is Jack Kirby. So Keith has brought Jack Kirby up before. I have not. So we're, we're making an effort to not repeat artists. Um, you know, if I had... My druthers, I would talk about Ryan Otley today because I feel like he is a very dynamic artist. He has amazing poses and um, he does action very, very well. I, he must have read the making, how to make comics the Marvel way over and over again because his stuff exudes um, exemplary poses for action scenes. But that's not who we're talking about, even though I just snuck him in right there. <laughs> I see what you did. There. <laughs> hey, hey. Uh, but Jack Kirby, Jack the King Kirby, he is the one that you you can say started it all when it comes to these the the Marvel way of drawing comics because he exudes it. Everything he does, there is an impact to every single piece of art that he's drawn. You know, as far as I can tell, minus the the romance comics that he used to do. Yeah. But uh, if you get a superhero comic from him, you're going to get tons of action. You're going to get the exact right panel in the exact right spot in every scene. Yeah. So just the way he does things, take a look. Google Jack Kirby. If you have anything that he's done, open that bad boy up. You're going to get that hand flying towards the camera, the fist flying towards the camera, and uh, the back leg shooting back going out in the distance and there's just something about his work it's so beautiful it's so impactful and the uh the dynamic poses he chooses they're just right they're just always right mm -hmm. yeah and and so i think for the next one to talk about i think we're going to have a kind of similar two here that we want to talk about and the one that i spitballed with scott before the episode started is james heron who did uh, the ultra mega series and just very dynamic, very raw. When you look at the action stuff, there's just, you know, first of all, his anatomy is a little strange, but it works totally well for the book. It's unorthodox, it's but it's intentional. perfect. Yeah. Unorthodox, but intentional. Exactly. And because that's the thing. Because it is, and, and the thing we talked about here before, people, if you're consistent with it, it's intentional. So the way he draws anatomy, it may not be conventional um, all the way through, but it's stylized, and it's always the same. The way he stylizes it is always the same. Mm -hmm. um, he's great. I'm sorry, I'm hijacking you here. Go That's ahead. I'll, I'll let you go. I'll, I'll, I'll talk. No, more. no. I mean, I, I think you bring up a good point that to talk about stuff like anatomy being off, I almost regret bringing it up because it's, it's like yeah. it's it's intentional. Mm -hmm. 
because they know what the fuck they're doing, right? They know what they're doing and it's intentional. So it's one of those things where you learn the rules to break them. Yeah. And once you figure out the anatomy of a body, you can draw it in a way that makes sense to you and you know exactly why you're doing yeah. why you're doing it and your viewer even though they can tell hey this isn't exactly what it's supposed to look like but mm -hmm. it's but it does it, yeah. it is what it is and that is what it's supposed to be yep. even though it's not a one to one and that's making comics making comics is a representation of anatomy as opposed to like perfect fucking anatomy right you know? so anyway um his motion is amazing when you look at his action scenes, like people tend to have like open mouths and, you know, like the poses are all the way through. You know, we talked about this before with, I think, Anatomy with Kirby, actually. There's just the ability to, to, to have everything extended to its to its extreme and maybe past its, its extreme because that's what works so well when we're talking about being dynamic. We're talking about the kind of pose that real life people could make in like extreme moments of action or is slightly beyond that because that's just the way it translates on the page. Again, that stick figure drawing out of how to draw comics the Marvel way. And you can do a Google search and find it, the person with one hand on the hip and the other pointing. If you look at the dynamic version of that with the person's feet spread, boy, that would give most people a groin injury. The way that they are spreading their legs to like have a point, you know, in what's probably like a very basic setting. But it works in comics. It just looks better. And in a way, that's kind of like an informal rule of comics that overdoing it isn't necessarily overdoing it. Right. Absolutely. Um, going to James, uh, James Heron, another thing that I've talked about is going too far with perfect anatomy. And I, and I know that's not exactly the, the subject we're talking about here, but it's something I want to drive home to you people. James Heron's non-traditional non anatomy is far more interesting to look at as a piece of art than an artist who knows how to draw everything exactly right. That's just something that, that translates almost only to art in itself. Comics... Comics, for me, that's what it's all about. When I see artists doing an exact one-to-one -to, -one to anatomy, I get bored. There's nothing exciting about that. I want to see your guys's, your guys and gals' uh, style shine through. And like for me, as a comic creator, as a comic reader, that's what I enjoy looking at. So it's very nice. Like As an artist, I can go, man, that guy really knows the human form. And there's certain guys that look... I'm not going to scoff when they do it. Like Olivier Coipel, Stuart Eminen, when they draw anatomy, I'm like, fuck, those guys just get it. They just get it. Olivier is on like another level. The more art that's released by him, the more I'm just marveling at his work. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so I'm getting a little off subject. So my second artist is Daniel Warren Johnson. So I'm going, to, I have to check him off of my list of uh, artists that I've talked about on this pod when it comes to specifics. And, uh, but he's it, man. He's just it right now. Like the stuff that he's doing, it hops off of the page. It's flying off of the page. You can feel the energy. You can feel the movement. Everything that he does feels dynamic. There's something going on to his art. The movement of it, it's just something special. And, and honestly, like when you first see it, you're like, man, this is kind of sloppy. It's all, all over the place. And then you take a step back and you just keep looking at it and you're like, 
everything is right. Mm-hmm. Everything he's doing is right, and it makes sense, and it and it is the way it should be. And um, yeah, there's just such movement, and I'm trying to think of dynamicism. Di- that works for me, dude. Di- but I mean, I'm the I'm dynamics. Like, I'm like 18 ounces in. Yeah, so. exactly. So uh, the dynamics of his work. Let's just go with that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's just off the hook. It's like Sean Gordon Murphy, but like on steroids. You know, it's just like Sean Gordon Murphy is an artist I love. I look up to. I've I've taken many a tips from him when I'm when I'm doing my work. Stuff that I've read from him online. Um, so there's a ton of shit that I love from him. But there's something about Daniel Warren Johnson. It feels like the next step of it. It's just like there's so much movement to the art. And honestly, that's something I've been obsessed with for quite some time is how do you make a still image look like it's moving? And like I'm really trying to get to that place because that's that's the thing. It, after everything is said and done, when I'm finished with my comic book journey, whenever that will be, hopefully when I'm old and gray or just dead, I just keep drawing till I die. The thing that I want to accomplish more than anything is the ability to draw movement on a page and people to feel it the same way that Daniel Jor- uh, Daniel Warren Johnson is doing right now. It's Daniel Joran to his friends. I yeah, yeah, yeah. Daniel Joran. Is that weird? Jinking the German BS. <laughs> so, yeah, man. No, I mean, that did, ditto on that. I mean, Daniel Warren Johnson does feel like he's having, like, a moment in the gestalt. He... You know, uh, to to use another music reference, the the Velvet Underground, uh, I think one of Lou Reed's, either his first band or something like that. The Velvet Underground is known as this band that influenced a whole lot of bands. It it may not have been that popular, but it influenced a whole lot of bands. And of course, Eddie Van Halen... Are they considered like the musicians' musicians? Yes, yes. But uh, but, uh, the, the example of Daniel Warren Johnson is... He's he's sort of a hybrid between like Velvet Underground or like Primus, who is like Primus is the modern day musicians musicians. Ninety eight point five percent of their fans are musicians, right? Um, but he's sort of like Daniel Warren Johnson is a hybrid between maybe Velvet Underground and like Eddie Van Halen, who, who influenced millions of guitarists, right? And because it feels like Daniel Warren Johnson is going up that he's universal arc. man. He's 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 like, definitely fans and, see it just as much as artists totally, see it. totally. And and again, it just feels like he's he's having a moment. And there's so many, you know, we've we've now been around long enough for the artist influenced by him to start having books coming out or to see his influence everywhere. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really interesting. It's so cool to see that, um, that exact point. Like there are artists now that draw like Ryan Otley. Ryan Otley has been around since, I mean, like known, a known commodity since the early two thousands and saying that doesn't seem that long. Mm-hmm. That is 20 years. Yeah. So to have artists like straight up just look like him, like it, I'm, I'm freaking one of them when it comes to drawing blood. My blood looks like Ryan Otley's blood yeah. because there's a movement to it. There's there's a moment. There's movement and there's a moment in time. Those are like okay. So those are the two concepts that I'm especially with uh, enamored with when it comes to drawing. And this might be all the beers talking, but it's true. So when Ryan Otley does blood, he does the impact, but the blood looks like. Someone took a still frame, like a movie's going, and it just slowed down. Mm-hmm. And the blood droplets turn into like that matrix effect with the water just floating there. Mm-hmm. And that's what it looks like with the blood. So when I draw blood, that's what my blood looks like mm-hmm. because I love the look of it. And 
the impact of these artists like from the early 2000s or, or just now i think i mean daniel warren johnson what how long has he been a heavy hitter 2016 2017 yeah. maybe you know not not that that long i'd, I'd argue less than that it might yeah. be less than that it, yeah. honestly yeah just thinking about it I, I feel like it's less than that maybe 2019 and um it's just so impactful, and this is one of those things. It's like uh, Travis Charest of the um, of the late '90s from Wildstorm. You know, like his style just changed over like over a period of a year, where he was like a Jim Lee clone, and then he just turned into Travis Charest. Holy shit, he's the he's the second coming of artists, and he influenced generations. And he was like, it was like Jim Lee Campbell. Travis Charest for me you know it was just like these milestone guys it's just like holy shit and like to kind of like live through it and see these guys come through is so fascinating to me it's just like man it feels like I wonder what the first Kirby enthusiasts felt like when they first saw his work and like holy shit this is the guy there's mm -hmm. something about his art and then you look you know decades later and he is the influence on comic artists to this day so yeah. it, it's just such a trip and it's like it's interesting to take this small walk down memory lane from the early 2000s to see where ryan otley started and to how he's influenced people and then we're in the daniel warren johnson uh era yeah and to see where that ends up yeah like, you know 20 years from now and the, you know okay to have a really weird thought but you know look we're we're always educational and entertaining and, and often more than a little drunk, <laughs> yeah. Because that's because that's what our that's what our our review, the reviewer said. Thanks, Zed Comics. Yeah, yeah. So I love thinking about this kind of stuff. Like, what's going to be relevant in twenty years? Because I have Sirius XM in my car, and I find myself like talking to my kids about artists when I was growing up because everybody still loves eighties music. Eighties music continues to be wildly popular. Yes, and it's like you think back. You know, if you look at the biggest selling artists from like 1980 to 1985, there were four that dominated the landscape, okay? Madonna, Michael Jackson, Prince, and Huey Lewis and the News. Hmm. Huey Lewis and the News, like, okay, so young people right there are like, what the fuck are you talking about, <laughs> Keith? I'm like, trust me, go talk to an old person, okay? Like, they may not even remember, because that's weird the way that shit works. You know, Michael, Madonna, Prince, they are eternal now. Mm -hmm. They are eternal. Huey Lewis in the news, motherfucker, they sold so many records. Like, so many records. They were everywhere. And it's bonkers when you consider here we are removed, you know, 40 years from a lot of that time, which, oh my God, I'm so old. But you you just, it's it's mind-blowing to think about that. And, you know, you, you don't know. You don't know what's going to be popular 40 years. Yeah, 40. Yeah, 35, 30, 37. I know, I, know. I, was, I was rounding up. 37. <laughs> 37. 37. 37 rounds up to 40, man. <laughs> you said 20. <laughs> I was like, did I? Yeah, you said 20. Oh, why? Well, I, I must have corrected it. Oh, 40. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. I That's, said 40. That's a that's a digital that's a, blip, guys. Yeah, a, we've that's, been drinking. It's fine. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, well, I, I definitely meant forty. Yeah, it's so crazy does when that you count? think about shit like that. It, yes, probably. it does. Okay, in 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 our listeners' hearts and souls, it does count for sure. Okay, so hey, this is a great time for us to get to bring in the bullshit because right. we are we have reached our cruising altitude. 
Um, do you have anything you want to talk about? Dude, I have been chilling the fuck out. Because, as I told you before you got here, um, our normal routine is we meet at SoCal Comics, we go grab a beer at Society, we go grab burritos, and then we come back here and we do the podcast. I have spent so much money recently that I have been chilling the fuck out on eBay, Kickstarter. Like, my indulgences have definitely chilled out. Um, I actually haven't been to the comic book store in two weeks, which okay. has been, that's a long time for me. Yeah. Like, I'm usually there every week and then, right. And um, so, but the good news is, with the CGC debacle, that was the uh, uh, the signing, the George Perez signings. Yes. I did not get my Starlin signatures or Wolf signatures. So, SoCal Comics owes me some dough. Um, They're like, we'll give you credit. I'm like, that's fine. I spend 40 35 to $75 every week there mm-hmm. buying comic books because comic books are insanely expensive. Yes. So, I'll gladly take the credit. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, that credit's there waiting for me. Thank goodness. Um, but I've definitely had to tighten up on all the extra curriculars, which is eBay, Kickstarter, and such. How about okay. you? Do you got something? Oh, do I? Oh, Uh-oh. do I, man? Oh, I got things. I okay. got things. Um, so the first thing I want to talk about is that this last weekend I went to D23. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So, yeah. I saw it on your uh, socials. I, yeah. I can almost nickname this like, dude, it, it's, it's Disney Pravda. You know what I mean? Okay, so sorry. People that are that are younger may not know what Pravda is. Pravda, because my kids didn't know when I made this example, this this reference. Pravda was the Soviet, the USSR run state newspaper back during the Cold War. So Pravda was nothing but Russian government propaganda. That's mm. all it was. And so going to D23 feels very like hello we have wonderful disney thing to show you you know like like it's just it all feels so marketing it just felt it it's weird because disney disney hypes it as a convention but it's really a convention floor for corporate disney marketing you know what i mean oh, like, is that what it, dude, i've never been that's I've never totally been. what they they want it to be a convention okay the the one panel i got into because rachel had to like get into panels you had to like get lucky and get in panels was 40 years of tron okay tron is look i like tron the original it's fine it's interesting you could even make make the argument that it's important you felt like it was the greatest cinema of all time when you came out of this panel, you know? And so it just had that, you know, everything is wonderful. And the thing about D23 too, is that your enjoyment of D23 as a convention is directly proportional to how many Disney properties you enjoy. I see. I like Marvel and I like star Wars. Those are Disney acquisitions. They are Disney properties in the financial sense, but like they're Marvel and they're DC. Yeah. Marvel and DC. They're Marvel and they're Star Wars. Right. They're their you own know? things. They're their own things, and then Disney bought them. So that part was really interesting to me. But there was a part where Rachel was like, okay, so, you know, hey, we got into the Disney Princess sing along. And I'm like, okay, great. Well, I'll, I'll sit down here. Just be on my phone while you guys go. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll follow fight. I'll, I will follow fantasy football is what I will do, and then I will walk the convention floor. But uh, she was like, "Oh, you don't want to come with us?" And I'm like, "Why?" <laughs> 
that is like the antithesis of anything I enjoy. Like, I don't like Disney princesses. I still go to musicals now. Like, that's the new me. But like, that doesn't mean I want to go to a goddamn sing-along from Hercules and Snow White. Does Snow White even have songs? I don't know. Because that's who I am. <laughs> but like, so yeah, it was it was like, I, I don't I think it that. does, but just nothing memorable. Some somebody not, like catchy. Somebody yeah. right now, like like seriously, probably just just hit stop on the podcast and like chuck their phone. <laughs> like you know what? That's the last straw. Fuck these guys. <laughs> Unfollow, unsubscribe. Right. But um, anyway, so the the cool thing is when I walked the convention floor, I found something really cool, and it was that a certain vendor had bought one 70 millimeter reel of everything that Disney had from like a movie theater or something like that. Oh, interesting. And then they cut individual um, frames out of that reel, put them in Lucite, and then sold them. So get your drinks ready. I bought two things from Star Wars. It was really, really cool. I bought uh, both of them were from Return of the Jedi. And it was just two really cool like 70 millimeter stills that are mounted in Lucite. I wanted them. They seem like a cool idea. I, I can't open the case. I was going to do so. Oh, you but, have something. But I have two. I have two um, frames. I don't know which movie they're from. They might be the special editions. Sacrilege, I know. Yeah. Uh, let me check real it's, quick. It's like a frame of Greedo shooting first. Okay, so it's a Return of the uh, Return of the Jedi. Yeah. And Empire Strikes Back. Okay. Okay. So one of them is Return of the Jedi. And it looks like uh, it might be, because I can't open the case, I have a ton of boxes in the way. It is Luke facing off against Darth Vader. And then the other scene is a um, uh, is a scene with Luke and, and Yoda on Dagobah. Okay. Yeah. Nice. So from uh, Return of the or Empire Strikes Back. So yeah, I grabbed those at San Diego Comic Con years ago, probably early 2000s. Mm. And it was one of those things where they have like that hard plastic, they have the screws that's sealed into there. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, they have the little, um, kind of like a like a header piece. Yeah. So you can see the scene that it's from yeah. and it's super badass. Yeah, I, that's the exact thing that I have. So super cool. Um, so anyway, what'd so, you get? What what uh, scene? Uh, so the two stills I got one is of Darth Vader with like a, a m- like machine. It's it's like grid floor behind him. Okay. It was from the final scene. Is on it where the, his mask is going on? Uh, no, no, no. It's it's before he and Luke fight in the final scene in the like Emperor throne room in Jedi. Okay. And the other one is an establishing shot of Jabba's palace from early in Jedi. That's oh, the one I really like. Okay. I, dude, it just looks cool. Yeah. You know? so, yeah. Anyway. Fucking job, yeah, man. Yeah. Really cool shit. But, um, okay. So that was, that was thing number one. Um, thing number two, the run I cleaned. I talked about a run last week and I didn't want to want to talk about it. And then your boy Scott ended up talking me into shit. And so the run that I have now completed is Stray Bullets. That is the old indie comic by David Lapham. He has had multiple series for it. I was missing issues 39 and 40. I have since grabbed them. And what was interesting was, for some reason, issue 40 was expensive by... Is it like a first appearance or something? I have no fucking idea what it is, man. Hmm. Like, for all I know, I I don't know. I'll know when I get it, you know? Um, Because I get the appearance that, like, each issue has a sketch in it or some shit like that. But there's no way that can be right, you know? Um, But anyway, I got that. And the place that I found it cheapest was Mile High Comics. In fact, it was the only place that had it in stock for any kind of reasonable price. 
So I got that, and then it was like free shipping at 60. Okay, I don't have to spend that much more to get to it. So what I ended up doing is cleaning my run of this comic I liked from back in the day by DC that I had at some point called Big Daddy Danger. It is a Lucha Libre wrestling comic. Interesting. Nine issue limited series. Really fun. I remember it being fun. And so it will show up shortly. I have a few issues of it because I've been dollar binning it. But it's one of those books that's so rare that nobody cares about it. You know, there's there's rare yeah. and valuable, and then there's just rare, but nobody cares about it. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, this is one of those books. So I cleaned both of those runs in one. And then I was looking for Stray Bullets 39. I found a great price on eBay. And then the, um, the person had free shipping if you get five or more comics. So I was like, okay, let me see what they have. I ended up finding all kinds of cool stuff. Like, this person has tastes extremely similar to mine. Hmm. He had a run... He has a run of Rare Bit Fiends Up, which is the dream comic that Rick Veach did. Okay. He had a run of uh, Spider-Man manga, which I liked a lot until I actually saw the interiors of a Spider-Man manga. And I'm like, I can pass on that. He had a complete run of this comic series that I have most of. It's this very, very cool series. It's a manga called 2001 Nights. And I love it. I'll talk about it at length sometime. But it just has a bunch of shit like that. Some old school horror comics. Mm-hmm. But the problem was, it was free shipping if you get five plus items. Okay. But they would have like a run of Rick Beach's, Rick Beach's Rabbit Fiends. That counts as one. Ah, so it's like seven issues that counts as one. It's like, look, dude, I'm not going to spend $85 to save three on shipping. Right. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, yeah. like I, I would spend, I would buy four individual issues to save like five bucks on shipping, but I'm not going to buy four lots to save five bucks on shipping. Right. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. But it gave me some cool shit to add to my want list. So that was, that was the, the third thing. And then I have one more thing. Which, well, sort of a, a double thing, right? Because we were talking beforehand about how my birthday came around a couple of weeks ago. And I decided that while I'm not in for, I'm not into a Fantastic Four 49 level treat for myself for every yeah, birthday. Yeah. That's like a once every That's a once five, a decade. Yeah, 10 yeah. years, something like that. Once yeah. a decade. I am down with treating myself to something. And right around then, CGC announced that they had an in-house signing with Tinian. And all of the artists on his three primary books. So you could get, um, again, I'm, I'm not going to butcher their names, but the artist on Something is Killing the Children, or the artist on Department of Truth, or the artist on Nice House on the Lake. And I happened to look up, you know, the, the convention, actually, since we know when we're recording this, I am hitting the road to Las Vegas tomorrow because I'm about to do Amazing Las Vegas. And that's the reason I came down here to get my prints because I'm going to sell those at Amazing Las Vegas. I got a refill on the couple prints that I still choose to sell at shows. Did you get a... Um, so when you said that, I assumed there was one that you posted online. You're like, I'm, this is the one I'm going to make a new print of. Yeah. Did, did you get that? Yeah, yeah. What I did okay. was I got I got my big sellers. I have this electric blue Godzilla that people buy a ton of. I have a Mothra print that people buy a ton of. And then I took a chance and made a few up of these cool, like they're almost like pink gradients of some Kadoja characters. One is Kathonic and one is Zyklon. And so, yeah, I'm actually, I, I bought them so that I can put them up as booth displays. Yeah. But nice. I'm also going to have some to sell in case people want it. Right so, on, man. Yeah, oh, I, yeah, I just, I love how they look. They were fun to make and they're they're fun to look at. And I think they'll look great at the table. So anyway, um, 
So I decided to treat myself to that with the with the James Tinian slash artist signings because that that would like I could have said oh I'll buy some collectible comic but no collectible comics are in that price range of what I wanted to spend. Mm-hmm. Let's do two signings for James Tinian. So Which, uh, what books did you choose? I I chose Nice House on the Lake number one the premium cover and that's with those two I paid for two signatures. Oh, I wanted to mention that Amazing Las Vegas, you can buy a ticket where you like go get you get a bunch of fancy stuff by Tinian and and it was like way more than the simple price of getting him and an artist to sign a book that you already have at CGC. So I'm like, this is a pretty competitive price all things said and done. Yeah. So anyway, I did Nice House on the Lake number 1 the premium edition. And then I did the uh, Werther Deladera. I think that's how you pronounce the Something is Killing the Children artist. Okay. And I got, I you know, I bought this, I bought this variant of issue 10. And I'm going to cue it up as I'm talking because it's a very cool um, thing. Something is Killing the Children, issue 10, uh, variant, right? Uh, and... Do you I, have the singles to that or do you have this the trades? I, I got the trades for the first... Two volumes. I, I think I picked up at 15 is where okay. I started to collect. Maybe 11. Maybe 11 is where I actually started to get it. But I saw this in Comic Book Hideout at one point, And I was like, I need that cover. It doesn't matter how much it is. I need that cover. That's the cover. Oh, yeah. That's nice. Yeah. So look up Something is Killing the Children number 10 variant. And I had bought it just because, like, I need this cover. It's an amazing cover. So then this opportunity presented itself as like, that's the cover I want to get signed. Yeah. You know, so I did two books. I just dropped them in the mail yesterday. You're goddamn right that I wrote the initials on the outside of the package. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> getting burned on Which you did not any, do. Which I did not do last time and I just Perez, somehow yeah. got lucky. But uh, yeah, anyway, so I'm excited. Now the hard part is waiting, which is going to be months and months and months. But at some point they're going to come back. And I did it for me. You know, I didn't do it to get it signed and have me flip it for some huge amount of cash right you know i got it because i want it i got it because at some point i think that both of these books have a great chance to become part of our overall zeitgeist you know to be tv shows to be movies to be whatever they are they're both amazing you know like i'm more of a nice house on the lake fan and a something is killing the children fan in terms of two books but those two books are amazing and uh, just two of my favorite books right now. Yeah, so. you might have talked me into getting my Something is Killing the Children number one signed. Yeah. Um, that might be a good one. Hey, yeah. If, if So if you have a number one, that's great. Yeah. And I will let you know that as we record this, act fast. You're going to, you're like the, the, the cutoff is eight days from now. Oh, you okay. You need to receive it eight days from now. Got so you it. still have time. Yeah. So mm-hmm. if you want to do it, you still have time. Okay, cool. Yeah, I, I picked it up on a whim. Um, I was visiting kamikaze comics which was at liberty station down here in san diego and um the the owner of the store would um pick up like indie titles so i had second shift and i don't know if i had wanderers there i think at that time it was only second shift so i had second shift comics there i wanted to support the shop and i didn't have a pull list at the time so i was just like oh what do they got going on i saw Something is Killing the Children, 
number one. It had a Jay Lee cover. Yeah. I was like, oh, I like Jay Lee. What is this? Mm-hmm. This character looks cool. I picked it up. It was a number one. I was like, yeah, fuck it. I'll buy this. Hell yeah. Um, we went to, um, uh, there in Liberty Station, there is a shop. It's like a sandwich bread shop. I forgot the name of it. Uh, my girlfriend loves it. But um, yeah, a couple of friends, they wanted to go there, grab some bread or some desserts or something like that. So I sat there at the table and I read it while they're in line. I was like, wow, this is a really great book. I didn't have a pull list at the time, so I wasn't able to add it. I didn't carry on. So mm. all I have is issue one. Okay. And then I think I picked up um, somewhere around where you did as well. Right. I think maybe 11 to 15, somewhere in there, I started getting them monthly. Yeah. And uh, Which sucks, because I was like, I like this book a lot. Yeah. I just didn't have a pull list, and I didn't go into the shops every week. So yeah, yeah. I hear you. missed out on it. All good. All good. But anyway, so, um, and then, hey, we're here. I might as well be quick about this. But I did something that matters a lot to me. Um, I had to, boy, I had to spend on it, but it's okay. So when Ava, um, one of my older twins, went to college freshman year, I said, I made a promise to her. And I said, before you graduate, I'm taking you to a Knicks game at the Garden. So she goes to freshman year, March of freshman year, COVID. She comes home. She ends up being home for 18 months, maybe more. Goes back for, what does that end up being? Like maybe junior year, you know, missed basically all of her entire sophomore year was remote. Junior year was part remote and then part in person. And now all of a sudden, you know, she just, she just showed up at school a couple weeks ago and it's like, oh shit, it's senior year. Right. You know, so I told her, I told her I'm, I'm taking you to the Knicks. So she picked her game. And I went ahead and, you know, like I, I got on the Knicks season ticket list. I did all this stuff. And three days ago, I bought the tickets. Nice. So, uh, which team are they playing? The Mavericks, baby. Oh, that's Luka fun. Luca at the Knicks in the garden. Yeah, that's fun. December 3rd. Right on. So, she didn't want to go with the Sixers? Uh, well, but that's okay. So this is kind of like my, my thing on that. I don't want to go to the Sixers. I, when, when I go, when I, look, if I'm going to see the Knicks at the garden, I want to root for the Knicks, man. Oh, okay. I want I want okay. to I want to rock the Knicks shit. I want to I want to buy a Knicks hat and I want to rep the Knicks. I don't want to sit there, go to the Knicks, and then be like, "Yay, Sixers!" Right. I'm here right. to be part of New York, man. You know. Okay. So, and that's okay. how I feel about any time I go to a, um, a city I don't live in and I want to go to that sporting event. I always want to be like down with that team. The I did it with town, the, yeah. I did it with the Charlotte Hornets. I've done it with the Pittsburgh Pirates, with the Chicago Cubs. All these places, Sacramento Kings, all these places I've gone to just go do it. And yeah, if, if I have a chance, I purposely avoid having it be the Sixers. That's that's great, man. Because then also the rooting interest isn't there. Yeah. Like you don't feel decimated when your team doesn't win. Yeah. You're like, look, I'm a fucking free agent today. So totally. like, it's fine. Totally. Hey, if they don't, Knicks don't win, guess what? I'm not in town next week. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Makes sense. Anyway, I like I'm that. really happy. And again, it's, it's about making a promise. And I texted her the other day and she's like, cool. I'm excited. You know, it's going to be a great day. So right on, man. Hell yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So with that, you can find me on Instagram at Keith underscore invader. That is me posting pictures, throwing quotes, and of course, sharing the books that I do. And if you don't like me, but you like giant monsters, well, then you can follow at Kadoja Kaiju on Instagram. And you can follow me at Scott Lost, S-C-O-T-T-L-O-S-T on Twitter and Instagram, facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. My website is KeithRFoster.com. 
I am starting to put up blog posts that relate to this podcast. And in fact, I might end up doing a blog post, a really quick one, to at least share that cool Kagan McLeod piece, that that panel that shows you how you can just take backgrounds and make it a dynamic pose in its own way. So I encourage you to check out the blog section of KeithRFoster.com. And I encourage you to check out Kadoja, which is Giant Monsters meets HP Lovecraft, and Three Protectors, which is Kung Fu in Space. And if you like those things, there is a web store right there. You can get all kinds of books and all kinds of stuff from both of those properties. And you can find my books, Second Shift and Wanders of Melisanda, at accidentalaliens.com. Uh, Second Shift is a minimum. Blah, 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 blah. That is what it is. It's a minimum. How about that? Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> we did it. We did it. That's it. Yeah, you fucked up. Yeah, that's it. I'm ending the episode. Now, uh, Second Shift, minimum wage workers during the day, superheroes by night. Wanders of Melisanda, Anthropomorphic Dinosaurs versus Humans. You can find those books at AccidentalAliens.com. We also have Accidental Alien Anthologies, 2018 and 19, are still available but are in limited numbers. We also have Tales from the Mothership, which is also in limited numbers. So pick those books up at AccidentalAliens.com. I have stories in all of them. So if you like me and you want to see what I do, pick up those books. You know, I got stories. I got stories. There's this one story about an elf who ends up having a chainsaw for a hand. And the elf walks down to the village and says, oh my God, I have a chainsaw for the hand. What can what can you do for me? And the bartender says, well, I can, I can give you a beer. And the elf's like, cool. And, <laughs> and so it drinks that beer. And then it's like, I still feel this chainsaw for my hand. What can I do? And they're like, well, I can give you another beer. So he gives it another beer. And then the, the elf is like, well, I don't feel the chainsaw anymore. I feel better about myself. And then the bartender says, hey, buddy, you should feel good about yourself no matter what. It doesn't matter if you have a chainsaw for a hand. That makes you special. It doesn't make you anything other than special. You're special. Your chainsaw for a hand is special, and that's what matters. And then the elf is like, wow, that's the first time anybody's really ever like laid that out for me. What can I do for you? And the bartender says, you know what you can do? You can leave the Making Comics podcast five stars on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That's the best thing you can do. That's <laughs> <laughs> you should definitely do that. Keith loves coming up with these stories for you guys. So leave us five stars on uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever else you guys use. I don't know if it's possible over there. Yeah. If you like what we do here, maybe not this episode, maybe this episode, go to makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. Let us know what you like, disliked about this episode or any episode we've done. We want to give you more content, so if you guys have ideas for topics that you want us to talk about, something we've touched on briefly, not touched on at all, go to makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. Let us know there, and we'll get to it. Or you can do it on our social medias, which we have previously provided. I kept a straight face for so much of that fucking So much. (laughs) But when I looked you in the eye, you just broke down. Because you're used to doing this over the internet. But I'm right next to you, and and you couldn't keep it. I couldn't do it. And I can just feel my my smile growing and growing as the story was going on. Because I knew exactly what was going on. It's hard to believe, but I added that entire story. (laughs) That's great. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. Hey, we did it. Another episode in the books, and we will see you next week. Yay, yay.